Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. As you know, there's a day for everything. And in the US, today is Ask a Stupid Question Day. Now, the idea is an educational one to encourage kids to put their hands up and ask something, even if they are a wee bit embarrassed. The idea that there's no such thing as a stupid question. Guidance counsellor and Irish Times education columnist Brian Mooney joins us now. Good afternoon, Brian. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, have you found that, that, that especially at second level, that, that kids are reluctant to ask questions? Well, I think everybody now, by default, goes to Google. Um, and to be honest with you, if it's looking for information, it's probably the accurate thing to do. The problem with that, of course, is that there is so much more to the relationship between two human beings when you're asking a question. I, in many over many years of guidance counselling, have had students who have come in and they will ask a question, and it's not the question they really want to ask, but they're too embarrassed, and they then establish whether they can trust you. And eventually, if they do, they will ask the question they really want to ask. So effectively, you know, social media in one sense has given us a wonderful tool that if I'm writing a piece for the Irish Times and I want to check a fact, I just go to Google that fact. It's either accurate or inaccurate, and therefore I can have confidence in my piece. On the other hand, if you're talking within a personal situation where effectively, you know, you're in a family situation, etc., then questions which may be really, really significant for a young person don't get asked. Because I think to a large extent, the, the sheer dominance of social media and the phone has meant that that dialogue, which would maybe have ha- happened in my youth, just doesn't happen anymore. We're all too busy dialoguing with our devices rather than dialoguing with each other. That, well, that would also imply that perhaps one thing they're not, they're not learning is the scale of social interaction. Oh, no, completely. Um, I'm aware that you know companies that actually employ young people now where they actually have to talk, you know, for fast food restaurants, etc., that they actually have to train students now to actually talk to customers. What do you say when a human being comes in front of you? Hello, how are you? Are you having a good day? Or can I get you whatever? And actually teach them the five or six questions. I mean, that was something that was, you know, you didn't have to teach kids that 20 years ago. Nowadays, companies find they have to do that because young people seem to have lost that natural ability to just have chit-chat, conversational dialogue that is part of the human experience since we stood on two legs, basically. Yeah, but they talk to each other, surely. Well, I, you, watch young people. I, I was down in the RDS last week at Higher Options um, in Simmons Court. And you know that area in Simmons Court where mm. um, everybody sits around? Um, yeah. Um, effectively, they were all there, hundreds of them, but they were all on their phones. They weren't actually talking to each other. They were in their groups. But they were actually at their phones. And if you look at four people, um, say, at a table in a restaurant or something, young people, they're all there, but they're actually each of them on their phone individually. They're not actually talking to each other. They're actually on their phone. It's actually amazing if you actually observe it that we seem to have forgotten the actual dialogue of human conversation. And we're all using our fingers now to uh, dialogue um, electronically. Might it also, I suppose... um uh, undermine the ability for critical thinking because if you look something up in Google it's well there you go that's gospel whereas if a person is telling you something you can at least parse it to some degree as to you know whether they have their own prejudice in relation to this information well, or that's no. exactly Sean you've got that in one I mean when back in the day when I was president of the Institute of Guidance Counselors back in 2001 I felt it was important with the development of the internet to develop a website where students could check all the accurate facts about courses 
and we therefore developed the Qualifax website, uh, which effectively means that if you want facts about a course, how long it is, what the modules are, what the points were for last year, go to Qualifax. But if you want to find out what the experience is of doing that course, well, then talk to the professor or the person who's representing it. Talk to students who've gone to the course. Go to the college itself. Get a feel for the place. So there's two levels of information there. There's the factual information, which I believe, you know, social media, the Internet, the sites like Google are absolutely fantastic in terms of giving you facts. But if you're looking for the deeper meaning in terms of would I commit three or four years of my life to go to that place, to study in that environment, and to get that qualification, then obviously dialogue with human beings who are either delivering it or are experiencing it as students would, to me, be the way to go rather than simply depending on the bare bones of the facts about the course itself. Yeah, because I've often heard it be said by... Uh, third level teachers that uh, they, they find, especially in, in their first year of third level, a lot of students have spent the previous few years learning things off Correct. and then giving those answers back. And therefore, they're not really capable of the, the, uh, this kind of critical thinking that they might be looking for. Yeah, tr- as, as a guidance counsellor and as somebody who speaks to students constantly making that transition, trying to explain to students that, in fact, the you know, success in college is not about regurgitating facts. It's about analysis of, of circumstances, situations where you're presented with a scenario and two people can come to diametrically opposed positions. So long as their argument can be shown to follow a logical pattern, then obviously that, therefore, is what college is ultimately about. Because an employer looking for somebody coming out of college isn't looking for somebody who can come up with information. They've got Google for that. Mm. They're looking for somebody who can analyze, who can make judgments, who can communicate effectively what the organization's mission is or in a particular project. That's what college should be about. And obviously young people coming from the school environment where learning facts has been basically the, the, the road to success have, have a very difficult few months in actually relearning that whole way of thinking. God, that's a fairly dire scenario then. Well, it is. Basically, it means that in college you have to learn that ultimately success is about your ability to evaluate your ability to argue logically, coherently, and to be able to present an argument based on a scenario that's presented to you. But, the, you know, students rapidly make that transition. We're very flexible as human beings, and we begin to realize very, very quickly that simply giving back the lecture what they gave you is not what college is about. Mm. So there's an argument there. Well, I, I, I assume in second level anyway, you can't be taking your phone out in class, but it, 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 does the same apply in third level? Well, I mean, in second level, phones can often be used because teachers sometimes use social media um, as a way of getting students engaged where they have to research something. So, I mean, you don't take it out willy-nilly. You're only taking it out. And obviously, a lot of schools have now moved to, you know, the iPads where effectively a lot of students are learning from devices rather than books. Now, I have some misgivings about that because I think that effectively a book is a really living thing you can engage with, whereas if you're just looking at a screen, but, you know, that's another argument. But um, obviously in college, of course, you can take your phone out provided it's on silent and it's not disrupting the lecture. It's interesting, really. We're still calling them phones, but we're describing a generation who rarely make phone calls anymore. Oh, absolutely. No, you very rarely see them actually using it as a phone device. They're using it either to text or to send images or, you know, whatever uh, other aspects of the device. They, I mean, they're computers, basically, and are the highly, highly sophisticated ones. 
when you think about it, uh, Sean, one of the things that we, we yet don't know what the sociological effect is going to be. I mean, I remember seeing the first iPhone back around 2005 or six. I was a government minister, actually, I was with, hmm. showed me it and said, God, look what we've been given. And now you've got every child in Africa has one in their hands, you know, even though they, they may not have basic, you know, infrastructure in their, in their community. So what, are, what, is, what is that going to do to the human experience and the human being over a 15, 20, 30, 40 years? We yet don't know the actual effect of this technology. But what I do know is that young people have less of the ability to actually read a situation by virtue of the fact that everything has been done through the device. So when, you know, I, I as a therapist would have in the past spotted anxiety or distress in a conversation with a student where they weren't even bringing up the topic, but you could read the human being because I was trained to do so. Mm. I think we as human beings that were talking less face to face because we're communicating so much through our devices, are we losing that ability? And this is a really serious issue. That, you know, where something, you know, tragic goes on for a human being, you say, God, why didn't I see that? Or didn't we notice that? Or did you not notice the person's behavior may have changed in the last number of weeks or months, etc.? I think we need to realize that by having the devices and they are so powerful that we're losing something really, really important, which is why some families try to, you know, have non-phone time when effectively they can actually revert to what we previously did over a meal or something, which was actually talk to each other. Brian, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That was uh, Brian Mooney there, guidance counsellor and Irish Times education uh, columnist. couple of uh, t- uh, comments on that. Uh, one says, uh, remember when you were a kid and you talked to your granny on the phone or you get a call from your auntie for your birthday and you chat to them. Well, my kids are terrified of the phone. They won't even ring a family member, let alone ask my 14-year-old to ring the takeaway herself to place an order or book her own hair appointment. She insists on doing it online because she hates talking person to person so much. Well, maybe there's, you know, they're kind of out of the habit of it and, it, you know, it, it makes them anxious uh, to do that. Now, Orla says, my son is 11 in fifth class. His school uh, takes him out in small groups for critical thinking. Secondary school is a backward step. Uh, though uh, Phil in Lucan says, stupid question of the day. What do snot smell like? That's a very good question, Phil. That's an intriguing one as well. Let's find out how much is in the cash machine. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.